Hello, it's the April DCM podcast. My name is Tom, and this month on the podcast, we're looking at some of the insight DCM have recently commissioned. To guide me through it slowly and clearly, I've got a couple of guests. Firstly, Claire Sansom, director of Old Salt, a bespoke insight agency based in London. Welcome, Claire. Hello. How are you? Very well, thanks. Good. We'll get on to what you do very shortly, but we're also joined by Michael Tull, Insight Business Director here at DCM. Hi, Michael. Hi, Tom. We were trying to work out if this is appearance two or three on the podcast. I think it's three. It feels like three. It feels like one too many. Um, (laughs) Some might say. Yeah. Before we get into our chat, it's our regular cinema update. In cinemas now is the Super Mario Brothers movie, and it's fair to say it's a hit. Wouldn't you agree, Michael? Yeah, big hit. At the time of recording, it's been cinemas for 14 days and has delivered a huge three and a half million admissions on the DCM estate. That's by far the biggest film of the year. That means it's on track to be the biggest family film since cinemas reopened in 2021, a title that's currently held by what film? Oh, good question. Film of this year's, would you no, say? No, last year. Anyway, it's Minions, Minions The Rise of Gru. I thought, I thought you'd we, get that. We talked about this the other day. I should have got it, yeah. Because all those films get £47 million pounds at the box office, don't they? That's yes, the that is fun true. Fact. Uh, but Minions of Isaac Grew delivered 5 million DC admissions. The Super Mario Brothers movie is on track to overtake that. The first round of film monitor data for the Super Mario Brothers movie is in. Data shows that the audience across the opening weekend was 30%, 1634. And if we calculate that into TVR, it's delivered 9 1634 adult TVRs already. That's amazing, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, really impressive. There aren't many shows on TV these days that will get you that sort of number. So incredibly impressive results so far. Mike, Claire, have either of you seen the Super Mario Brothers movie? No, not yet. But I think it might be time to introduce my daughter to the cinema. She's three. And so she's I, never been? Not yet, no. Nope. Oh, this is exciting. So I think this might be the film. What was your first cinema film? Oh, I don't remember. I do remember seeing Grease, though, the original Grease back yep. in the day. That must have been a re-release because you're not that old, Claire. Yeah, it must. I think it was a re-release, but I do visi- like vividly remember going to see Greece and just being captivated by it, and then watching it again and again at home. What was your first film, Michael? It was Aladdin, and I went to the Disney store afterwards to get a mug where, you, when it poured hot water in, the genie would appear out the lamp, and that was a prized possession until I broke it. Hmm. Oh, sad times. <laughs> if you're wondering, my first film was ET, but I left halfway through because I was too scared. <laughs> So it's not just Mario that's been making waves. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, it's just crossed 1 million DCM admissions and John Wick Chapter 4 is up to 1.3 million DCM admissions, which is almost 400,000 more than the third instalment, which I think is amazing. Significant growth from the first John Wick film through to the fourth. I think it's also worth mentioning Air, which is an Amazon Studios title and that's performing well, but I think we'll come on to that shortly as part of our chat. Have either of you seen Air? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, I thought it was a really good uh, film for grown-ups. Just a lot of fun and a lot of actors uh, doing their charismatic best. Over the next month in cinema, we've got The Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is out on the 3rd of May, which is forecast to do 12 1634 adult TVRs. Fast X is out on the 19th of May. And on the same day, we have an adaptation of Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I ask everyone who's on the podcast, have you read the book? I might have. Okay, that rings a bell. <laughs> not quite enough commitment from me. Have you, have you found anyone that's read this book? Tom? I have read this book. Taught me everything I know about life. And Judy Bloom is obviously a wonderful woman. Uh, and this is an adaptation out on the nineteenth of June. A week later, we've got The Little Mermaid. Yes, I'm so excited. Are about you? That. And mm-hmm. did you go see that with the original animation at the cinema? No, I don't think so. Oh gosh, I'm probably I'm probably the only one old enough to have been to see the original one. Anyway. 
that should be one of the biggest films of 2023. Summer's hotting up, isn't it, Michael? I think we're really getting into the big summer blockbuster season, even though it feels nothing like summer outside. I know, so it's mis- so miserable today, but I think, yeah, a really great slate of films, you know, starting from next month all the way through to the summer, just blockbuster after blockbuster, after blockbuster. really great slate coming up. So let's get on to the chat about our insight. Claire, can you tell us a little bit about Old Salt and what you do? Yes, of course. So I'm 50% of Old Salt. I've got my business partner, Cyan. Um, she's also a director. And we specialise in quantitative research, mainly for the media sector, um, but also sport as well and entertainment. And we've kind of had agency backgrounds, working on lots of mixed method projects in our careers. But we've decided to form an agency, just us two, to have be purposefully small and provide really strategic consultative research support to clients like you. Okay, and where does the name Old Salt come from? Oh, this is where we need Cyan. So we, Cyan and I both have um, in our history some nautical heritage from our grandfathers and great-grandfathers. They were both in the Navy. Um, my um, great-grandfather named all of his children after the ships he'd sailed. So he was obviously very, very into boats. But Cyan's um, great-grandfather was also in the Navy as well. So that's kind of the nautical heritage side of it. But why we like the name, applying it to our our company is that it really encapsulates the fact that we think we're really skilled at research but we're also um, really good tellers of tales we tell really good stories with the insight with the data that we capture so hopefully it speaks to our skills in the research world as well as our heritage. Michael can you tell us about why we partnered with Old Salt on this insight? Yeah sure so I worked with Claire and Siam not long after I joined here at DCM probably like seven years ago um, in a former life they were working at another agency who were running the FAME project for um, us as a CAA initiative so and we just kind of kept in touch um, over the years because you know their experience in knowing the industry so well the entertainment space so well and been looking for other opportunities to kind of work with them because they're experts in this space and it's always important to work with people smarter than yourself as well so that was also a, a draw to, to work with them again <laughs> he just says it so dryly i get, I get thrown <laughs> slightly off guard so tell us a bit about the study what were the initial thoughts behind it why did we undertake it and how long did it take yeah, so we worked together in 2021, actually, when we just kind of reopened after the pandemic and did a survey during that summer to get a read on what was going on with cinema goers coming kind of directly out of the pandemic, just as cinemas were reopening, which was a really useful exercise for us to understand what was happening with cinema goers, their intentions across that period, um, and just understanding where everything kind of lay after that kind of disruption. Obviously, lots has changed since then in terms of the return of the audience. And obviously, there's wider economic climate issues happening uh, currently as well. So we were keen to get an updated read on what was happening with cinema goers uh, now at the start of this year, what their intentions are for the year ahead. So that was the kind of uh, background to kind of why we did the survey and trying to understand what was really going on and, and what was likely to hopefully happen over the next kind of uh, rest of the rest of the year. And Claire, what were yours and Cyan's thoughts when Michael first came to you with this proposition? Oh, we're very happy. This this is a great topic to research. And we love working with Mike anyway, but it's such a great topic to research because people love the cinema. It's so nice to be able to write a survey and put it out on a topic that people genuinely really want to tell you about and that they really love. So yeah, we're very excited to do round two of this this research. So let's get into the key findings. I understand that there are three key findings that we're going to go through today. There are obviously more key findings, but we're going to go through three key findings today. Can you talk me through the first one? Yeah, so I think kind of starting out, we want to get a sense of 
today. What does it look like in terms of cinema goers' perceptions of the cinema experience? How do they feel about it um, and, and the value and, and the appeal of that, given everything that's going on? How is that kind of holding up? Um, and I think what we found was actually a really kind of generally very positive uh, story uh, and outlook for, for the cinema going market in terms of its appeal to audiences and, and how it's going to continue despite kind of surrounding uncertainty when it comes to the economy. Yeah, and something that that's really um, held strong um, doing both rays of this research, but also when we've researched um, cinema, you know, way in the past years ago, is that people really see it as a treat more than any other type of media. They see it as a treat and they really um, value it. The kind of scores we get in the survey for those, you know, those words like treat and experience and premium, immersive, they just score so highly for the cinema and just continue to do so, just, you know, despite the changing context over the last few years. And it's for a few reasons that we've kind of covered in the survey. And one of them is there's just not really any other place to switch off like the cinema you really get to switch off from everyday life and importantly your phone as well um, it's one of the only places that offers that true immersion and escapism but it's not just immersion escapism on your own and that's that's the fundamental point it's also social it's a really collective experience we saw in the survey that people said it's a, a great place to spend quality time with loved ones. Um, and we can see that the emotions, the experience people have at the cinema, it's so much more heightened by the the audience that they're with. Um, you think, I, I laugh so much more when I'm watching a, a funny film in the cinema than I would do just sat on my sofa at home. And it's much scarier when everyone's kind of going, <gasps> at the same time. It's not, it's not really the same if you're sat on your sofa and you're, you're kind of cuddling your cat. It doesn't really kind of build up that suspense, does it, in the same way. And another thing that was really nice that came through in the survey um, in this wave was to see the passion from families um, about the experience of the cinema for their children. You know, they had really strong agreement with the fact that parents think it's important that their children experience the magic of the cinema. So I think all of this just goes to show that it seems like the pandemic has really um, strengthened and highlighted the role of cinema in our lives and how important it is to us. And I think Mario is a good example of, of that recently in terms of just seeing how many families have come out, how many families have brought their children. You know, I've, to Claire's point earlier, I've got friends who've taken their kids to the cinema to see Mario as their first cinema experience and just have loved, you know, the whole the kind of big screen experience. And I think that's kind of really testament to when you have great family films, just what a great family experience that is. But I know one of the questions we had going into the project was we thought and hoped that the value of the cinema experience and the appeal of that was going to remain strong but of course the backdrop against all this is that there is the cost of living crisis that's been going on uh, for several months now and we were getting increasing questions from advertisers and the media agencies around what impact this might have on cinema going so we we're also keen to have a look at that and understand you know, what is the impact of that on cinema going and perceptions around the value of the experience as well but I think we were really encouraged by what we found. Yeah, after the, the kind of challenging few years of the pandemic, um, obviously now we're contending with the cost of living crisis. We don't really get a break, do we? And separately, we've done quite a lot of research in this space about the impact on people's behaviours of the cost of living crisis. And it, it really does seem that no matter how tangibly your finances are, are impacted, the general discourse around the rising costs of everything seems to be seeping into people's mindsets. They really do feel that that's happening and that's impacting them. So in this survey in particular, we asked about how much disposable income they had to spend on entertainment and whether that's changed. Um, and we found that around three in five say they have less disposable income now to spend on entertainment than they did before. 
But when we investigated how they're trying to deal with that and where they're trying to make savings, it was quite interesting to see that people were trying to make lots of small savings in lots of different places rather than making wholesale cuts to the kind of entertainment choices that they make and what they enjoy doing. Um, For cinema specifically, only 6% said they'd stop going to the cinema altogether. So it's about trying to claw back little from everywhere rather than, you know, cutting behaviours entirely. Um, And actually... The people who go to the cinema most often in our sample, they were the most likely to say the cinema was good value for money. Obviously, they're going, they think it's good value for money, but they also spend the most. So that value for money is really holding strong for cinema amidst um, challenging times financially for people. And also SVOD is not immune from this. That was included in our list of changing behaviours. And although we've got lots of ad tiers now, most of the services now offer an ad tier, it was really interesting to see there seems to be a reluctance for people to switch to that tier it doesn't look like from our research we're going to see a mass shift to the ad tiers to help people's finances we do see um, people saying they're looking at whether they want to carry on paying for the services altogether so it could be that once you've you know you're on SVOD once you've got rid of ads on TV maybe you just don't ever want to go back so they're more likely to cancel a streaming service altogether than move to the cheaper S ad tier there's a bit of both for sure. But it's not, um, it's definitely not weighted towards that moving to an ad tier. We, we kind of see both of those behaviours being considered by a similar proportion. And I think it's an interesting challenge for advertisers going forward. They're obviously very keen to be able to access audiences on things like Netflix and potentially on Disney Plus in the future. But I think this kind of gives a glimpse into that it's not going to be something that's going to have potentially massive reach for them. And then there's also the added challenge of even amongst those who do decide to take the ad tier um, level, maybe for financial reasons you know just how receptive are they going to be to the advertising that you put in those spaces that they've spent potentially years experiencing that service without that that advertising break added in and so actually there's no guarantee that people are going to be as receptive as they are in other channels like cinema to the advertising in those spaces so i think it's an interesting time for advertisers to grapple with with that challenge from a from a planning perspective as well was there any differentiation in this power of the cinema experience section regarding the genre of film and how people interact with that i mean we spoke about claire you spoke about how you laugh more when you're with a when you're watching a comedy at the cinema you get scared more when you're watching a horror film at the cinema and that's something i think we're quite aware of isn't it mike in terms of horror films is probably the genre that's been proportionally compared to pre-covid the most successful over the last 18 months and we are confident that over the next year i think we're going to see comedy start coming back in a big way as well aren't we yeah i think so i think there's definitely a draw to see those sort of films that benefit really from that big screen communal experience. You know, I think we saw it last year with people being really drawn to films like Top Gun Maverick to Avatar that require the big screen technical elements of the cinema experience. But we're also seeing that increase, particularly in the horror audiences of people wanting to watch those sort of films together. To Claire's point, you know, there's lots of research to back up that watching things together really elevates the experience. And a lot of some old neuroscience research that generally shows in a community, if you're watching something together, now your rhythms of your heartbeat and stuff will will align as a collective because you're following the same sort of narrative along and so it elevates the experience and just makes that much more memorable as well so i think it really benefits those sort of experiences that a communal experience like your horror things like musicals comedies etc all work really well for that communal uh, viewing experience as well as those that are more about the spectacle and the leaning on the size of the screen and the the volume of the sound and the quality of, of that experience as well I also just want to dwell on this fact about parents wanting to get their kids to come to the cinema for the first time. And I just wonder if that's going to become a bigger thing, because as you said, the cinema is one of the few places where you do 
switch off. And I think there's probably going to be a more and more incentive for parents to get their kids to switch off just somewhere, wherever that might be. And it might end up being the cinema, mind it? Yeah, I think it's interesting as well, thinking about the context of the pandemic and there'll be a selection of kids who are growing up and hitting an age where maybe you would normally get taken to the cinema, but you maybe didn't for a couple of years because the cinemas were shut or disruptive and not family films. So I think it's an interesting time that things like Mario and now hopefully an increasing slate of really great family films is coming up that can begin to introduce the next generation of cinema goers you know, into the cinema experience. Because definitely from the research, we found that the parents of those children definitely see the value and want their children to experience what they experienced when they were kids as well. It's a medium that endures. I think we're all aware of that. And I think when it comes to S4, what we were also kind of keen to really kind of go in and understand, not just around the advertising perspective, but also around how people really kind of view the film content that's available on SVOD services. You know, often you know, for years we've been getting questions around the role of SVOD, you know, obviously increasing amounts of films being released there during the pandemic, the switch to sort of day and, and date releases for certain services as well. But we've kind of had a hunch that cinema was maybe still this benchmark of quality and we want to kind of investigate whether that was true uh, now that there are so many different ways that um, distributors can release their films um, across different services and into cinema at, at different time so we kind of wanted to work with Claire and Sam to really kind of find a kind of nifty way for us to understand how cinema goers perceive the quality of films that appear in different places. Yes so in the survey we used um, a max diff exercise to assess how the perceptions of a film's quality change based on where it's released so max diff um, its full name is maximum difference scaling um, is an exercise we can build in a survey that allows us to create a definitive and relative ranking of um, different data points so in this case our data points were um, a list of places where films could be released so that included um, variations on a cinema first release with an exclusive theatrical window or, or without um, variations on um, an SVOD first release different services um, also some pay TV first releases um, and free to air TV first um, release locations as well. So how it worked in the survey was respondents were shown different combinations um, of these release places and each time they were asked to indicate where they'd expect to see the highest quality films released um, and conversely where they'd expect to see the lowest quality films released. So that exercise repeats a few times with different combinations and it allows us to use the data to kind of to model the results um, and produce um, a definitive ranked list from highest quality to lowest quality in terms of people's perceptions. And the results um, were strikingly clear. The, the films released in the cinema first were seen as the highest quality by far. The gulf between that and the next was bigger than any other step down um, in any of the releases in the list. Um, the next one down was um, cinema and SVOD combined release, but it was very far behind the, that exclusive theatrical window. And we tested um, a couple of different um, exclusive theatrical windows, and we found that the longer the exclusive theatrical window, the longer the time it was just in cinema, the stronger those perceptions of quality were and we also looked at all of the different SVOD services as well and looking across all of the different SVOD services the results were quite similar actually regardless of service so it's kind of suggesting that people are thinking of you know SVOD generally rather than having you know unique perceptions of individual services and the scores for SVOD services um, were about average so it seems that you know they denote average quality if it comes to SVOD first um, as opposed to that real strong quality for cinema first and then at the end of the list were pay TV um, and free-to-air releases. And we did see pay TV performing slightly better than uh, free-to-air, but they were consistently down the bottom in that kind of TV bucket. 
And I think this is something that's really interesting and sort of proved our hunch, but it was just quite interesting to see it laid out in terms of the differing perceptions of just how far ahead an exclusive theatrical window does then deliver on perceptions of quality of that release versus what you got through those coming through the SVOD and, and, and other, other platforms. And I guess, Tom, it really fits in nicely with what we're seeing as a broader in- industry narrative at the moment with some of the kind of biggest streaming services coming through and thinking about how they release their films, uh, not just directly onto these services, but also moving towards, for some of those films, uh, a theatrical uh, window and exclusive release in cinemas first. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth highlighting that just about every single major release in cinemas now has a significant theatrical win- window of at least 30 days, but usually minimum 45 days. I think Top Gun Maverick's window was over 100 days. Avatar's window was over 100 days. Um, uh, even films like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which uh, Disney have obviously had a history of sending their films to Disney+, Plus, had a window of 82 days of exclusive- exclusivity in cinemas. So the theatrical window is here to stay. But what, as you say, is probably the most in- ex- exciting thing development over the last few months is that now the streaming platforms who are producing films are seeing the value of a cinematic release and a significant theatrical window so we've already mentioned it in my intro but air is in cinemas at the moment that is an amazon studios title amazon studios bought mgm uh, and they're now making a whole range of films this was the first one that they've released since they bought mgm where they've given it a theatrical window we don't yet know when it's going to land on amazon studios and it's doing um well both in the uk and in in north america which i think bodes really well for their upcoming films and amazon studios have confirmed that they're going to be releasing 10 to 12 films in cinemas uh, over the next year uh, and already apple tv are doing the same aren't they michael yeah and i think we're seeing this is like coming through and we have the Killers of the Flower Moon uh, coming out and we also have Napoleon just come onto the schedule as well. So we're already seeing some huge films from some of the world's most acclaimed filmmakers you know, who are working with these streamers but are, are of course keen also for their films to appear in cinema. So it's great to see that move start coming coming through and also for them recognising that there's actually there's actually probably real great value in these films being seen in the cinema first, obviously generating some additional um, income that they wouldn't see just going directly to the streaming services, but also giving that uplift in terms of prestige and stature and talkability that the films maybe might not have got having come on uh, just at home, especially when you consider that uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is looking like just shy of four hours. Um, I think it's one of those things that probably at home someone's very likely to pause, stop, kind of dice up into multiple viewing experiences rather than probably viewing it as uh, Scorsese intends in one fell sitting in in the right environment. It's quite interesting as well that uh, you said it's Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, Ridley Scott's Napoleon. I think they're probably part of their deal is insisting on a theatrical release. I think Brad Pitt is making a film with Apple TV about Formula One which he is insisting that it gets theatrical release as well. Yeah, definitely. I think also we're beginning to see the Academy as well um, in the States when it comes to Oscars, beginning to look at changing their rules so that films have to release theatrically in more markets rather than just currently, where I think it's a couple of markets for a set amount of days. Films are going to have to release in, I think, 15 to 20 markets across the US um, with exclusive windows to then qualify for the best picture category as well, which obviously all these kind of top tier directors and these um, studios like Amazon, Netflix, Apple, etc., all want to be in that kind of party. So I think it's interesting to see that change come um, from the Rules Academy side as well. And what do you think this means for advertisers? Um, I think it's interesting. I think the benefit for advertisers is that you know with this content, um, kind of high quality um, content that it creates just more opportunities for um, audiences to come back um, to the cinema to see this sort of content 
premium content that's entertaining and that that is a benefit for advertisers to be around as well so i think from an advertising perspective knowing that we're going to have increasing amounts of these sorts of films so films for grown-ups for that audience it's probably typically going to be 35 plus that maybe have been underserviced a little since uh the pandemic in some ways from a sort of drama perspective again it just builds out how the slate is looking and, and getting it back to kind of where it was uh, pre-pandemic. So I think from an advertising perspective, really encouraging in terms of the breadth of the slate and just how premium our content remains in cinemas and the halo effect that that can have on the advertisers that run uh, before screenings of those films in cinemas as well. And that kind of leads quite nicely on to the kind of third kind of key topic we wanted to talk about today was, you know, part of the survey was looking kind of ahead trying to understand, obviously, in the current context, what are CinemaGoers' intentions for the rest of the year when it comes to looking at the slate, understanding what's appealing to them and what might continue to draw them back into cinemas um, again. Yeah, so the data that we captured shows that CinemaGoers are are really getting back into the habit after a few disruptive years. We've seen all the figures saying that, you know, people are increasing their frequency over, you know, the last couple of surveys we've done. But it's not yet at their peak. People are still intending to go more often. Um, in fact, three quarters said they intend to either maintain or increase how often they go to the cinema. So hopefully we just continue to see that rise. And that was even before we showed them the film slate. That was just a general question about visiting the cinema. When we actually showed them the slate of films coming up this year, um, there's so many really exciting titles. We saw um, people on average saying they intend to go to the cinema to watch around six of those titles. And actually that's in line with pre-pandemic figures, um, which is great. And even those who told us earlier in the survey they're likely to go to the cinema less for financial reasons or other reasons, they still selected an average of six titles when they were showing the film slate. So it does remain to be seen with such good films whether people will actually be able to resist going to the cinema as often as they have been. And in terms of titles, I mean, we've talked about a lot of these already, but the imminent spring releases performed really strongly in the survey. So Super Mario Brothers and Guardians of the Galaxy came out really strong in terms of intentions to go and um, watch it. Um, But also... So did the new animated Spider-Man, which I think is due out in June, um, and Wonka, which isn't coming out till the end of the year. It was still generating a lot of interest in the service. Obviously, these are, these are big names, familiar names to people that were really getting them excited. So that was really nice to see. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see you know, just how far ahead of the slate in terms of Mario was and kind of really kind of showing through and how well it's performing in the box office and it was strong for 1634s and particularly strong for families and then to see the kind of breadth of the slate as well and the established titles unsurprisingly doing well in a survey context but you know seeing things like Spider-Verse things like Wonka which hasn't even there's barely got I think any official imagery let alone a a trailer out there that that property innately has um, appeal to a broad audience again both Young, young adults and to families is really encouraging um, for, for the year ahead as well. In the context of the cost of living crisis and the number of films that people are excited about coming up, is there anything about loyalty schemes or special offers in cinemas that people are open to or aware of? It's not something that we looked at as part of this survey. I know we captured that as a part of a separate survey called Fame. And I think we've seen levels remain pretty consistent. I think what's been encouraging is seeing from an exhibitor point of view, obviously, you know, some of them have loyalty schemes. Others are running various deals. You know, from a, from a London perspective, you're seeing places like the Genesis have been running £5 tickets um, across uh, this month and, and last month. 
I got an ad on Instagram yesterday for £5 tickets at Odeon Camden as well. So you can see a lot of the exhibitors really understanding the context of things that are happening with the economy and incentivizing people to, to come, which I know, you know in the context of everything getting more expensive, actually, you know, even a standard cinema ticket, which on average is about £8, is really good value when you consider Tom will go on about how much he paid for a pint of beer at a pub the other day. <laughs> I paid £9.50 for a pint of beer on. <gasps> so in Thursday. that context, I think cinema actually looks very good value when you consider the cost of other things at, at the moment as well. And obviously that's within a London bubble. You know, for some people in other cities in the north, £5 a ticket is is the norm day in, day out, every every month of the year. So I think it remains a really, a really good value activity for individuals and for families to take advantage of. And when the slate is right and the films are appealing, you can see why people are willing to go and still treat themselves across the year. I think the benefit of cinema is it's not necessarily something you're doing. You know, most people aren't doing every week. And so if you're going six times across the year, you still like to have those six occasions of having, having a treat, even if things are a, a little bit tighter at home, you try and make those um, treats still um, doable across the rest of the year. And on top of that, um, when we looked at monthly cinema goers, um, two and three of them, so the majority, say that um, the cinema is a good choice kind of for a night out or for a family because they know exactly what it's going to cost. So when you're, you're budgeting or thinking about your finances, it's really good to do activities where you can actually know how much it's going to cost for you to go out rather than a day trip out, which might start to add up very quickly. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Don't do anything where I don't know how much it's going to cost, um, especially after that pint. So... Let's talk specifically about films. Obviously, we've touched on some of the big, exciting films across the summer. Claire, what are you most looking forward to? So, yes, Little Mermaid's on my list, um, but also Barbie. I think both of those are really pulling on the nostalgia strings, but they just look awesome. Like, the production, the cast looks so good. And every time I open Instagram, I seem to see memes about the Barbie films. All the memes. This is a film that has cut through in a way few other films seem to have cut through. Everyone seems to be talking about it or know about it. Uh, It's definitely the film that the people in our office are most excited about this summer. Yeah, and a year ago, you would never have said that until, you know, until we started seeing things. It's, it's, It's amazing that, I don't know if it's just the Warner Brothers marketing team or the trailer or just people know about Right, what Ryan Gosling and Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie are up to. But yeah, very excited for Barbie. It looks a ton of fun, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of the right ingredients to be something really great and really fun, I think. And I think, yeah, the memes and the, what they did from the marketing perspective is like hats off to really cut through because it was everywhere for that definitely at least 24 hours, if not longer. It was just constantly on Twitter. Every new tweet was something related to the Barbie trailer drop. So it was, uh, yeah, big news. And it's probably worth highlighting as well. It was the first major film in 2023 that we'd sold all three premium spots for as well, gold, silver and bronze. That happened months and months ahead of release. You might sell one or two premium spots, but not all three or that far in advance. Yes, yeah, definitely something we've had a lot of interest from. And when we talked to agencies, a lot of interest there, both from them as an audience, but also as thinking about uh, from, from a brand planning perspective as well. It's definitely something that's got them particularly excited this year. So that's great to see. And I, I saw the telly, they're still doing reshoots on the movie. So, you know, I think it's interesting to see just what exactly it ends up being. Because even from the first trailer, you still can't quite get a sense of just quite what it's going to be, which I think is also quite exciting as an audience to be not entirely sure where it's going to go or how they're going to how, how they're going to do it or how they're going to pitch it so I think that's uh, very intriguing and there's some quite fun narratives around this as well in that it's out the same day as Oppenheimer which is the new Christopher Nolan film so that in itself is a fun juxtaposition of two t- titles but also Warner Brothers are releasing Barbie uh, Universal are releasing Oppenheimer Warner Brothers used to release all the Christopher Nolan films and so 
they've gone straight up against his old distributor and it's just quite exciting to see who's going to win as well yeah and for us cinema nerds already eyeing up a double bill that day of um but doing both in in one day which has to be done obviously what films are you looking forward to this summer michael i think yeah so from both of those i think i'm really looking forward to um spider-man across the spider-verse yes because um, yeah the first one i thought was excellent just incredible animation so i'm very intrigued to see what they're doing as the second part of this uh, trilogy i'm also really excited i really love the trailer for no hard feelings the jennifer lawrence comedy i'm very keen for there to be a actually good comedy and the kind of comeback of that experience because i think it's been been a while since we had a really genuinely great comedy but i was really impressed by how often the trailer made me laugh and still makes me laugh so i'm really looking forward to to that one yeah, uh, yeah i think we've got a handful of films across the summer like no hard feelings like strays, strays like joyride. joyride that could really kind of capture that uh, comedy audience and it's, it wasn't that long ago that every summer at least would have would have one huge comedy film think back to when we'd have the hangover and bridesmaids and spy spy and, and the jump street films and i i'm i'm all in on this comeback of the big screen comedy and it's great for that 1634 audience as well isn't it which i've sadly left now but moving on um i also am into like just big screen action so i think mission impossible will be incredible as well i think that you know been teased since Top Gun Maverick last year when they released the trailer in that and all the cinema screenings. So that's I think, still the you know, only thing we've seen as well, isn't it? That's true. I think it, all you need is that shot at the end of him on that mad shot of him on the motorbike going off the cliff. And I mean, that just sells you on having to see that on the big screen. So I'm excited to see what they've uh, done uh, with that. And then because I like to think I'm cultured, I'm also into a couple of the smaller films like Past Lives, which has been getting a lot of buzz on the uh, festival circuit. And because I'm a tennis fan, also Challengers as well, which is the new Zendaya uh, tennis movie if we're being very blunt about it very excited <laughs> for all of those so finally so we've spoken about this insight where can people find out more yep so on our website you can find all the main findings there's a, a kind of powerpoint presentation alongside a blog that's live on the website now so you can go on and read and download more and i said finally i've got one more question claire what's next for old salt lots of things lots of things that's good <laughs> thank you for joining me thank you thanks thank for having you. me i'll be back next month with at least one more guest. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.